Are you working? What kind of work do you do? You're listening to The Edge with Aaron Karolnik. Giving you the expert advantage in the world of gambling and fantasy. Good evening, Radio World. That's right. You're listening to The Edge here on TSN 1050. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Boy, do we have a great show lined up for you this evening. I am Aaron Korolnik, your faithful host here for our 15th episode of The Edge here on TSN 1050. Al's brother, I know, is celebrating back at the TSN 1050 studios. He's wearing one of those, you know, New Year's hats, ringing uh, the bell. Al's brother, how pumped are you for episode 15? I'm so I can't believe it's already episode 15. It's actually flown by pretty quickly. We are just killing it, man. The ratings, massive winner. We are a dominant force here on the airwaves every Tuesday and Friday at 7 o'clock. Al's brother? We did have Dave Festchuk in on uh, Overdrive today, and when I walked in, he actually uh, said that he was a really big fan of the show, and he said, oh, I like what you guys are doing over on the edge, so I'd like to shout out thanks for Dave for listening. I love Dave Festchuk. I guarantee he's listening right now. I'm sure he's driving home from the studio, so shout out to the Festchuk family. I know, big golf family. His son, Oscar, an absolute stick unlike myself, but uh, we should get into some Masters talk, House brother, and of course we'll get into the favorites, of course Bryson DeChambeau, Tiger Woods, well Tiger Woods is not a favorite, but certainly a big story this week, but the big story with Tiger Woods, and not his 39-1 to odds to win the Masters, to repeat as champion, but was his decision on his Masters Champions dinner, and I don't know if you saw this, House brother, I'm going to read it to you, what, what Tiger is serving, what he's chosen, that's his feast for tonight he is serving sushi as his appetizer and sashimi as well <laughs> don't don't worry tiger has it all covered the main is steak and chicken fajitas and the dessert flan i don't really know what that is churros which i like as well so i need to ask you ab what would your master's dinner consist of give me an app give me a main and give me a dessert all right, let's let's have a quick brainstorm here. I'm I'm I like food. I don't think that's a surprise. Yes, I'm a, yes I'm I'm a little tiny bit of a foodie, and being Italian, uh, the only thing that I think I would choose if I were to have my uh, master's dinner, I would start off with my my appetizer being just a smorgasbord, a charcuterie board of cured Italian meats. Mm, we're talking good start. We're talking prosciutto, we're talking salami, we're talking like, a- anything you could think of. Cheeses, it's going to be fantastic. Why Why is it, Osborne? Let me interrupt for a second. Whenever an Italian person starts talking about different cured meats, the Italian accent starts to spring up just a little <laughs> bit. I heard it there. Please continue. Prosciutto? Is that what you heard yeah, it with the prosciutto? Yeah, yeah, you got the hands going. Like, yeah, I love it, I love it. Because, What's your main? My main uh, steak and lobster. Love oh, me a good baby. steak and lobster. You get it together, surf and turf. It goes so perfectly. And for dessert, let's top it off with some creme brulee. Wow, house brother, you are a cultured individual. Yeah, I got to go with a Caesar salad for my app, steak mashed potatoes for my main, and some kind of chocolate peanut butter ice cream. And I can't really go wrong. I mean, I would struggle to imagine that at any point in these Masters, there's been something that. Someone, one of the Masters champions, past champions, have been, you know, grossed out by or, or did not enjoy. But I mean, I suppose that uh, I, yeah, I actually would be very curious if Bryson DeChambeau were to win this week. He is plus eight hundred. He is the favorite. Although Dustin Johnson, a lot of money coming in on DJ, and not surprising at all in that respect, considering he's finished in the top six in six straight six straight events. This guy is an absolute 
horse for the course at Augusta National. So DJ getting a lot of love. But what would Bryson choose for his Masters Champions dinner? Probably an appetizer of protein shakes followed by egg whites and I don't know. I, I'm all out of ideas for Bryson. But we'll talk a ton of Masters House Brother with Jeff Feinberg, who is one of the preeminent golf handicappers on the planet. This man picks winners. Many years ago when Danny Willett won the Masters House Brother, you may remember when Jordan Spieth put it in the water on 12. He had Danny Willett at 125 to 1 to win that tournament. I tailed him and I won. And many thanks to Jeff Weimer for that. And perhaps this week he has another winner of similar vintage. But Al's brother, let's get to what happened last night in the Patriots and the Jets. It's time to win. Grab a pen, a pad, and mark my words. No surprise, Al's brother. Another loss for you. You ate another loss, as the boys on Overdrive were explaining. That's a tough one for you. You are the opposite of Jameis Winston in every respect. But I know you won your pro-line tickets, so thumbs up to you. And if you didn't catch what happened last night, I mean, it, it is remarkable to think that last night's game between the Patriots and the Jets was infinitely more interesting and exciting than the Saints and the Bucks on Sunday night, which looked like, which had the makings of the game of the year and was probably the dud of the year from a football perspective, betting perspective, any perspective that you look at uh, from an NFL lens. But last night's game was really good, man. And the Jets, and I know we were talking about this before the show, they had their full complement of wide receivers back for the first time all year. You're talking about Jamison Crowder, Brashad Perriman, and their second-round pick in the most recent draft, Denzel Mims. The offense looked surprisingly competent, at least for the first three quarters. In the fourth quarter, yes, they had four yards, and of course, they ended up blowing the lead, and Joe Flacco and the Jets produced nothing offensively, and Cam Newton was able to engineer a couple of late fourth-quarter drives that got him to at least pick up the W in New England. But let me ask you, A.B., as far as the Patriots going forward, does that game make you feel better or worse about what we're going to see it from them for the rest of the season? I think it makes it feel infinitely worse. I had the displeasure of taking them not only in our pound-the-table picks last week, but also last yesterday on Overdrive. I'm not saying that I thought they were going to be a playoff team, because I didn't. I I did not believe that this post-Brady team was going to make the playoffs. But now I think they potentially could be competing for bottom dwellers of the league. The fact that they just squeaked past the New York Jets. With backup quarterback, yeah. With a backup quarterback, Joe Flacco, who before this game was only averaging five points of offense going into it in the two games (laughs) that he started with the Jets. So the fact that uh, they were able to carve up this that Patriots defense was was honestly scary. And yeah, Stephon Gilmore was out, so was Juwan Bentley. So they were missing some key pieces to that defense, but still, it's it's certainly concerning if you're Bill Belichick and a Patriots fan. The Pats were favored by 9.5 in New York last night, and a lot of the money was coming in on New England. And this is not me with revisionist history. I was surprised because I thought the Jets were definitely the play uh, especially at nine and a half, at seven and a half, with we thought Darnold was going to be in the lineup. Those two points kind of pushed me more so towards the Jets, and ultimately they came up big. Let's look ahead to the Sunday nighter this week, AB, and we talk about the Patriots, who they suck. I think the Patriots purely suck, and we saw Jacoby Myers have a huge game. We'll get into Jacoby Myers' performance uh, with John Dago from Roto World when he joins us in about 25 minutes from a fantasy perspective, but. He's their only offensive weapon. He's the only guy Cam Newton trusts. And 
I'm sorry. Jacoby Myers is not, is not a reliable go-to option in NFL offense at this point in his career. And Cam Newton did some really good things on the ground. But I'm looking at the Baltimore Ravens laying only seven points, a seven-point favorite against the Patriots. And my eyes almost popped out of my head. I couldn't scramble fast enough to bet on Baltimore here. And we talked a lot about Baltimore last week beating the Colts. What do you make of that line? Only seven-point favorites are the Ravens against the Pats. Where is this one being played? I believe it's in New England. I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure it is in New England. If it's in Foxborough, that would be possibly the only reason why I could It is in New England. Yeah, New that, England. that would be the only reason why I could see the odds makers making this one a single point digit uh but or a single point single digit spread. There but like let's let's call a spade a spade here. What what we saw last night is that the Patriots just aren't good at all and uh Baltimore actually played half decent against the Colts this weekend. So <laughs> no, I, no bias there, Mr. Colts fan. <laughs> half decent. They weren't great. Yeah. They were half decent. Um so so I honestly I'm I'm a little surprised as well that they're they're such little spread yeah i don't i don't understand at all and i know there's a lot of criticism of lamar jackson he didn't have his finest performance but the the ravens are running the ball really well all of a sudden combined with lamar of course we know what he can do with his legs gus edwards and jk dobbins i think they might get mark ingram back as well so when you have that three-headed monster running back the ravens are a force to be reckoned with one more game i want to touch on before we bring on jeff feinberg who is the golf handicapper you're going to want to hear from ahead of the Masters. The Buffalo Bills, I mean, it's hard to to discredit anything they did against the Seahawks, a pure dismantling, winning by 10, 44-34, but this game was an absolute blowout, was not close at all. They looked nasty. Josh Allen looked like he did in the first four weeks of the season, as opposed to the middle four weeks where he wasn't too good at all. And the Seahawks defense, my Lord, they were so incredibly incompetent i couldn't believe how easy the buffalo bills were just slinging it around the football field and now you look at a game that i cannot wait for on sunday you're talking about two of the most prolific offenses with the buffalo bills heading to arizona to take on kyler murray and the cards it's in arizona the cards are one point favorites which kind of surprised me considering the way that the bills just dismantled just dismantled the seahawks what do you make of that line ab yeah, I'm, I'm I'm surprised as well, but it's also just a, a confusing line because you don't know what Buffalo team you're going to see. Are we going to see Buffalo that we saw this past weekend, or are we going to see Buffalo we saw the past three weeks before that? Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then I would hedge my money towards Arizona. And I think that's why oddsmakers most likely aren't comfortable putting Buffalo as the winners right now. But as the money pours in, I wouldn't be surprised if we do see this line shift a little bit. And by the time kickoff comes down on Sunday, we could see Buffalo as the favorite team. Yeah, and, and that Kyler Murray versus Tua Tungavailoa showdown with the Arizona Arizona and Miami on, on Sunday was awesome to watch. Two former Heisman Trophy winners and two guys who look like they're going to be absolutely awesome quarterbacks for a very long time in the National Football League. I have about 20 questions written down for our next guest. We're going to talk Masters with Jeff Feinberg, who's the host of the Jeff Feinberg Show on the FTN Network. He's an analyst for Odds Checker. I want to talk about Bryson. I want to talk about Tiger. I want to talk about John Rom, Dustin Johnson, and who the low Canadian will be this week at Augusta National. I'm Aaron Karolnik. He's Al's brother. Coming back with some Masters betting talk here on The Edge next. Our podcast. Oh, what's up, Jay Z? 
the greatest. The greatest. Very appropriate as I welcome in my next guest. And I was, brother, bring the music down just a little bit. Our next guest is the greatest. That is a fact. He is one of, if not the top golf handicapper on the planet. He's a contributor on Odds Checker, the host of the Jeff Feinberg Show on the FTN Network. It is my pleasure to welcome him back to TSN 1050. It is Jeff Feinberg. Jeffrey, great to speak to you. What's going on? Uh, very well, thank you. Those words are honestly too kind. It's better to be lucky than good, I think. Well, Jeff, I was telling the story earlier in the show about Danny Willett in 2016 at the Masters, how you were pumping him hard on Twitter, telling everybody, bet this guy, 125 to 1, 130 to 1. And Jordan Spieth, he was listening. He wanted you to, you to cash those tickets, the Danny Willett tickets in 2016, cashed for a lot of people, including myself, and my gambling accounts are still thankful. So no pressure, Jeff. You're going to have to come up with a similar winner this week, 125 to 1. Find us some of the Masters, please. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I'm sure you could do it. And we'll get to, the, uh, we'll get to some of the long shots a little bit later. But I want to start with Bryson DeChambeau. Everyone's talking about him, and rightfully so. Dude hits mammoth drives, one of the best putters on the PGA Tour. And he's the favorite here at Augusta, but he's 8 to 1. And I know certainly earlier this year you could probably find him 30, 35, 40 to 1. 8 to 1. Are you betting Bryson this week, Jeff? Uh, no, I can't condone that uh, in any sense. In a field um, that is this strong, even though I do think there are very few amount of finite players to do it. I love Bryson. I love what he's about. I'm one of those people supporting one of those bigger Bryson numbers, and I'll be rooting for him. But I don't think he'd... I don't want to bet anybody at 8-1 to one to win this golf tournament. I mean, really, since Tiger in his absolute prime, it has never really been kind to the favorite, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, and uh, there are, I would say, seven favorites. So you have Bryson, and then you have six players with odds from 9-16-1, to 16 to 1, and those players are Dustin Johnson, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, Justin Thomas, Brooks Kepka, and Xander Shoffley. Jeff Feinberg, if you were to recommend our listeners to bet on one of those six, who would it be? Aye, aye. Um, it's a bit of a cop-out because I do got it down to two, and that would be Justin Thomas and John Rahm. But if I guess, I don't know, gun to my head, I think it's pretty equal. I'll take those extra points, I would suggest, with, uh, with Justin Thomas. When he putts, he wins. Everything that people are making such a big deal about what Bryson does, and he does that, people need to realize Bryson decided to do that when he saw the success that Justin Thomas, John Rahm, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Koepka, Rory McIlroy were having. Those, are the top, those were the top five players in the world. They all made tremendous um, strokes gained off the tee gains. Bryson wanted to be a top five player in the world. How did he get there? Well, he needed to improve his off the tee game and what he did. He obviously went far and beyond. All that being said, Bryson was chasing what these guys did. I don't think he's as much better as other people are making it seem in this moment. Jeff Feinberg, our guest here on The Edge on TSN 1050. He's the host of the Jeff Feinberg Show on the FTN Network. Jeff, I probably would imagine that over the course of time, Masters gambling segments would have started with Tiger Woods for probably the last 20 years. Not so tonight, and rightfully so. Tiger Woods has barely been playing, and when he has been playing, he's been playing very poorly. He is, however, 
between 35 to 40 to 1 to win the tournament. Now, I don't think you would advocate people to do that, but would you bet on Tiger to finish top 10 or top 20, or would you bet on him to miss the cut? I don't want to pick on him to the extent to that he'll miss the cut, um, but I have no interest in, in investing in Tiger in any way, in, in, in placings. I don't really have an interest in rostering Tiger in, in, in DraftKings or, or FanDuel-type games either. He has not driven the ball well or putted well at all, at all, like scary bad. Um, we know he's a world-class iron player if he's given those sorts of opportunities, but the way he's putted, the way he's driven the ball, Tiger is special. He is magical. I think he will win again. I don't really doubt that at all. I'm not calling a major per se. What I will say is he feels like a, a, like a, a classic car, like a steam engine that needs like 25 working parts to be in perfect mechanical order. And there's only one engineer on the planet who can like get them working, like how they need to be. I don't see everything lining up for Tiger the way the year has unfolded this week. It's a very profound metaphor, Mr. Feinberg. The engine, Tiger, I, I really like that. My, how you've developed as a as a, an aspiring, oh, not an aspiring broadcast. You're a absolutely, absolute stud as far as the broadcast game goes. Very proud of you, my man. I want to talk about Bubba, Johns, Bubba Johnson, Bubba Watson, who, of course, we know has two green jackets. And a lot of people, including yourself, I heard you with Pat Mayo earlier this week, talk about Bubba as a legit contender this week at Augusta National for his third green jacket. Where do you rank Bubba as far as wagers that you'd be casting? Uh, I don't have a wager on Bubba. While I was speaking that I saw the sort of transformation, the sort of rebirth of Bubba occurring, I wasn't sharp enough to go hunt what his master's numbers would have been out of covid but I would say once you sort of get out of that pack of golfers in that super elite stack, you know, under 15, 16 to 1, uh, Bubba, I believe, is very live this week, guys. His, his, um, his iron stats, his greens and regulation stats have just been not good. They have been phenomenal for the last couple months. And, and Bubba, he plays well at courses that, that suit him, that he's happy at that he has had past success at um, before. And now he's even doing things that Bubba didn't do. Like his 31st place at the U.S. Open this year, for Bubba just making the cut at a U.S. Open seems like a great game. And, and he had some fantastic results in strong fields in Vegas and uh, at the Zozo and the CJ Cup. I am I, I, I think we could get a real a real. Uh, look at Bubba this week on a leaderboard. I'm not picking him, but a lot of people I do trust and respect are, are very keen on how Bubba will play this week. Jeff, there's only been one rookie who's won the green jacket. That is Fuzzy Zeller in 1979. And a guy a lot of people like this week is Matt Wolf. Two top fives at majors already this season. He pounds it off the tee, so length is no no uh, problem for him and I was thinking that the lack of fans could actually be advantageous for a rookie at Augusta any value to betting Wolf this week okay I have in strictly where my mind is like focused on who will win this tournament I have little to no interest in all of the rookies Morikawa Wolf Scheffler I guess even Cam Champ is garnering some attention for like Wolf he has tremendous distance Wolf I believe is a player that will win these big events but you mentioned the history against debutants. That doesn't mean they can't have fantastic weeks. I think we saw 
Finau and Cam Smith uh, have like top fives in in the past few years as debutants. So they can certainly play well. I don't think they're going to win, guys. I acknowledge the fact that no crowds will help them. But but in the case of these rookies, even like a Matthew Wolf in a normal year would have gotten to take a practice run there, would have taken a weekend where he wasn't playing or a couple days and gone and done a scouting trip. Those guys didn't even get to do that this year. Colin Morikawa, these guys, they're literally walking onto the course for the very first time. Um, So I guess you could argue in their case it doesn't matter. April, November, they they have no comparison or expectation for how it should play. That could be an advantage, but I don't think they're going to win. I have no interest. Jeff, I have a couple more for you. I want to look at the Canadians in the field. Corey Connors, the favorite to finish as the top Canadian. He's at minus 105, followed by Adam Hadwin at plus 175, Nick Taylor's plus 350, and Mike Weir at plus 2,000. If you were to bet on one Canadian to finish as the top Canadian, who would it be? I'll eat the chalkier guys. I'll go with Corey Connors. We can just, you know, write Weirzy off. He'll be doing TV. I assume for right. you guys by the weekend. That's just the reality of the situation. But full marks on him for playing. Like I see a guy, Trevor Rimmelman, isn't even playing. He's just going to do the TV. Why not play and then do TV on the weekend? I like Corey Connors. He was a debutant here last year. He almost had a first-round lead. He was striking the ball magnificently in Houston last week until he really fell off the train. But in my eyes, looking at that bet, he's got to outduel Adam Hadwin and his off the tee prowess and, and ball striking. We might lose a couple on the greens, and that's where the money's made. And, and it's scary maybe to say Connors over Hadwin, but Corey Connors is a guy. I'll actually be betting that Corey Connors top Canadian. That's something I can tout this week, and I have. All right, I'm writing that one down. Another thing I will write down is the next couple of names that you give me when you answer this question I'm about to ask. We talked about Danny Willett in 2016, 125 to one. That was probably an unrealistic expectation as far as maybe someone this week. But give us a couple of long shot plays, maybe 50 to one and higher on who you're looking at um, to potentially put the green jacket on Sunday. Yeah, I will say it's important to note with Willett, I think the week of the tournament, he went off in that 50 to 60 to one um, range. Okay. That being said, still a huge hit. And I got to be honest, guys, not to sound like Brooks Kepka arrogant. I don't. I think there's 18 to 20 guys who can win this thing. Like that's it. That is it. That that's truly where I draw the line. So I don't even really care to look too far down the board. Although the books are offering extended each way placing, some of them available to us in Canada for placings. Normally it's just five places, but now they'll give you payouts up to eight. And there are some long shots that I don't mind. I mentioned earlier Cam Smith. Um, he he's coming in back there. I like uh, Jason Kokrak. He has that profile that a lot of players that I will be betting have, and he's in form off that win. He's in that, like, 90, 100 to 1 range. I don't mind them. And a sneaky prop I will be making is a Lee Westwood top 10 this week, guys. Lee's got seven, in seven of his last eight Masters appearances, he's finished inside the top 20. I do like Lee to have a strong week. He's been so consistent in the fall and summer this year. And he's got a real low DraftKings price. I'll be going to the wall with uh, Lee Westwood, and I'll be sweating him if he's riding a cut line Friday. 
Lee Westwood, wouldn't that be something if he were to be putting that green jacket on, Tiger putting it on <laughs> Lee Westwood on Sunday? That would be something I would sign up for. Jeff, thank you for doing this. Great to catch up with you. Keep up the terrific work, and hopefully we'll have you on again, perhaps next April ahead of the Masters. Yeah, anytime, guys. And I, I, I'm not calling Lee Westwood to put on a jacket, but I think, <laughs> I think he can have a real sporty, sporty week this week. Just remember, Jason Kokrak... We're looking at an each way on Jason Kovac, Corey Connors, top Canadian, Lee Westwood, top 10, amongst your other wagers. Make sure to follow Jeff Feinberg on Twitter. Check out his podcast and uh, all the great stuff he's doing. Thanks, my man. We'll talk to you soon. All the best, guys. Anytime. All right. That is Jeff Feinberg. And, yeah, Jeff used to work with us here at TSN 1050 and has gone on to do some great things. And I will say, Al's brother, I cannot wait until the Masters. And I don't know if it's because our sports calendar has been reduced or – I guess we didn't get the Masters in April. It's kind of been building towards this moment, but I am so excited to see the coverage. And I heard Duffy on Overdrive talking uh, this afternoon. I've heard Bob Weeks on the station throughout the day. And, man, it sounds like it is going to be an unbelievable tournament. And make sure to check out all the coverage on TSN. Yeah, it's got some sort of presence, doesn't it? Like, you really know when it's Masters Week, especially around TSN, within the shows, within the people you're chatting with. It really just becomes the number one topic of conversation, Masters Week. And I will say that, I don't know if people, people know that Duthie's down there, Bob Weeks is down there, Graham Dillette is part of the coverage as well. Sean Cameron, a.k.a. Puffy, who you hear on the Rubber Boots podcast, gets to go with Duthie, with the crew, each and every year down to Augusta and... I know he does a great job, but man, what a gig. To be working those grounds this week with no fans, I cannot imagine a better job that one person could have. So shout out to Puffy. Keep up the great work, and I am beyond envious of your position at TSN. John Dangle from Roto World NBC Sports is going to join us next. What to make of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from a fantasy perspective? Godwin, Evans, Brown. What's up with Brady, the running back situation, all in flux? We'll get to that and much more with John Dangle when he joins us next on The Edge. Back here on The Edge, you're listening to TSN 1050 here in Toronto. We're streaming worldwide, tsn1050.ca. And my next guest, one of my favorites in the world of fantasy football, of course, an expert with Roto World and with NBC Sports. Make sure to ter- check out his terrific work at not, not John D. D I don't even know what your, <laughs> your Twitter handle is, John. So why don't you tell the people, because it's a little bit confusing. What's up, man? Yeah, at John Daigle was taken, so I went the complete yeah. opposite route and grabbed <laughs> at not J Daigle, D-A-I-G-L-E. There you uh, go. You know, just to throw everyone off, so there you go. Not yeah, the being, strategy yeah. if you're trying to get big in the business, by the way. Yeah, being a good radio broadcaster is overrated, John. Just uh, ask, ask me there. <laughs> but give me, give me a little bit more due diligence. Let's start with the Tampa Bay Bucks, And they were just embarrassing on Sunday night. They put up three points against the Saints. And I'm sure if you had Tom Brady or any of the big offensive weapons in your fantasy lineup, you were very disappointed. What, if anything, can we take away from Sunday night with the Bucks, John? I was shocked that Antonio Brown immediately stepped in 
and played nearly as many snaps as both Mike Evans and Chris Godwin as the team's third wide receiver. Saw six targets as well as the targets were really just evenly dispersed between Evans, Godwin, and Brown. So now that we know he is, as it stands immediately, in an integral part of this offense, I think you rank these guys, Evans and then Brown and then Chris Godwin in that order for the rest of the season. Whereas previously, when it was just Godwin and Evans, I would have actually said Godwin's ahead of Evans. We had Ian Harditz, uh, pro football focus on with us last week, and he was really hyping up A.B. as a legitimate potential top 10, top 12 wide receiver going forward. Do you have as high hopes for A.B. as Ian does? Uh, Ian, by the way, also I used to live near him, so a good friend of mine. Um, okay. I am not as high as him, although I do respect his opinion. I just think there are far too many mouths to feed. Not only those three receivers, but also Rob Gronkowski, who's being involved weekly as well for four-plus targets a game. And then, as we know, uh, Leonard Fournette this past week also got five catches. And so you now are trying to feed five different guys whenever your offense also is still trying to run the ball with two different running backs between Fournette and Ronald Jones. And it's just a lot of names to please. So I personally do not think he has wide receiver one upside, but low-end wide receiver two, wide receiver three weekly, absolutely. John Daigle from Roto World and NBC Sports, our guest here on the edge, and a big win for the Patriots last night. I guess you could call it a big win, but they'll beating the Jets. I don't know if you should be that thrilled, but I think if you're a fantasy owner with Jacoby Myers on your roster, you are quite content with his performance last night. 12 catches, a Bill 69 as far as uh, receiving yards go. How legit a fantasy option is Jacoby Myers going forward? Jacoby Myers has done this in the preseason as well, leading the preseason two years ago in catches and then also uh, with a 100-yard receiving game in that stint. And honestly, this has only happened because Nkeel Harry got knocked off the field with concussion. But the past three games, since Myers came off the bench, he's seen a 24 40 and 40% target share in those three games, leading the team in targets in all three contests. So I do think he's for real. And quite honestly, I understand Harry was a first round pick, but I really do believe that Myers slipped through the cracks of the NFL scouting department as an undrafted free agent and is just a really good player as well. He runs a 4 6 8, so not the fastest guy, but you could tell last night he just understands how to separate and he has great hands. So even when Edelman returns, I think Myers is here to stay as the team's primary boundary wideout. John, we saw Christian McCaffrey go down again on Sunday, and it's uncertain if he'll play this week, but Duke Johnson was pretty good after David Johnson went out with a concussion. We're uncertain what his status is on Sunday. Do you have Duke Johnson as your number one running back pickup ahead of waivers tonight? He is my number one running back pickup, and of course no one's going to know uh, David Johnson's current status in the league's concussion protocol before they make the pickup. But the fact is, Duke Johnson has top 10 upside if he's given the start. Not only did he handle 54 snaps in this game and 100% of the team's backfield touches when David Johnson left, but remember, this is a guy that was previously pigeonholed by for his former coaches, Hugh Jackson and Bill O'Brien with the Browns and the Texans, as strictly a third down guy. But that's not how they used him. They gave him touches all over the field, including moving him to the slot and, all, like I said, all of the carries at, at times. And then Buddy Howell, who is also an early down grinder, was active for this game. It didn't see a single touch. 
So what that tells me is that Romeo Cornell actually trusts Duke with the offense if David is out. And it's never been about Duke's talent. It has always just been about how he's been pigeonholed in the league. So I think he has mm. re- legitimate league-winning upside, not only if he starts this week, but if he continues to start moving forward. Well, you mentioned winning leagues and the fantasy football trade deadline. The default trade deadline's just, I believe, two weeks tomorrow. And a lot of maybe owners who are, um, you know, have more commanding leads in their league might be looking for maybe some buy low opportunities, maybe someone you could trade for for the stretch run. Any players you're targeting in your leagues that maybe you could pick up and make a significant impact on your roster, certainly heading into the towards the fantasy playoffs. Oh, quite a few, actually. Uh, Derrick Henry <laughs> has the league's easiest rushing schedule okay. in the fantasy playoffs. So he is someone that you're hoping to get right now since he is coming off <clears throat> a rather poor performance. Uh, Josh Allen, the issue with Josh Allen, though, is that you can't really buy low on him anymore because he exploded against the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. And then this game against the Cardinals this week has been bet up four points already. Opened at 52, was clearly too low. Now it stands at 56. It's probably going to end as the highest scoring total the entire week. So we should expect a massive performance from Josh Allen again. So if you're going to buy him for the fantasy playoffs, it needs to be right now. And then Hunter Henry playing with Justin Herbert, who's been absolutely outstanding. And you just want consistent pieces of that offense. And the fact is the consistent pieces are Keenan Allen and then Hunter Henry, who's still running a route on 90% of Justin Herbert's dropbacks. So those three players are three guys in particular I'm very high on. Uh, Also, I will say J.K. Dobbins off of a bad performance this past week against a stout Colts rushing defense. The fact, the thing is, we don't know when Mark Ingram is going to return, but we do know high ankle sprains tend to linger for four to six weeks. So I'm buying the better player in that backfield for the stretch run, and you can get Dobbins for very cheap right now. John, is there anyone you'd be selling at this point in time? The Cowboys receivers, I still okay. think you can sell Amari Cooper off name value just because this offense is not what we thought it was, right? Uh, now in their past four games without Dak Prescott, they averaged barely over 10 points per game, whereas where they were at 38 per game with Dak Prescott. Uh, also, if you can get anything for Ezekiel Elliott, and the fact is you probably can't right now, um, I would clearly get away from him as well as Tony Pollard continues to incrementally get eaten to his touches more and more with every passing week. And then, um, interesting enough, I think I would get away from Chris Godwin because I do think his value is at its highest now that we do know Antonio Brown is going to be on the field permanently and likely soak away targets from him. Well, I own Godwin and Amari Cooper, so that's just great so news for me, John. <laughs> Thank you, my man. I always appreciate you uh, jumping on here. Is John Daigle from Roto World and NBC Sports. Follow him on Twitter at NotJDaigle. There you go. I nailed it finally. Finally got it, John. Thanks. Thank you, my man. I appreciate it. Thanks as always for having me. My pleasure. That is John Daigle from NBC Sports and Roto World. Always tough to get those Twitter handles off the top of your head. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. On the subject of lessons learned, there were almost a number of lessons learned in NFL Survivor Pools over the weekend. Al's brother and I will recap our sweat-worthy performances from the Steelers, the Houston Texans, amongst others, the Kansas City Chiefs, when we return here on The Edge. Count it up, count it up, count it up, count it, count it up, count it up. 
This is The Edge here on TSN 1050. Make sure to subscribe to the pod for great information like we are about to get from our man Al's brother. Now, we talk a lot about the NFL's MVP odds, and we're past the midway point in the season, so it's getting more and more realistic and more and more easy to predict who the NFL MVP will is but perhaps it's the exact opposite because we saw Russell Wilson put up some decent numbers but his Seahawks losing to the Bills and we saw Patrick Mahomes with yet another big performance statistically now 25 touchdowns to one interception is Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs they're rolling and why don't you break it down for us Al's brother where does Vegas have the NFL MVP odds at at this current moment so we'll take a look at what we got for the top five. And rolling at number five, you've got Tom Brady at plus 3,000. And then no Josh, chance. Yeah, no, I don't think so either, especially after Sunday night stinker. Josh Allen at plus 2,000, putting himself back into the conversation hmm. with his strong play on Sunday. Aaron Rodgers, plus 350. Patrick Mahomes, second at plus 210. And then Russell Wilson at plus 120. Still the favorite so far here. Hmm. Of those... Who are you laying some money down on? Yeah, I would absolutely bet on Mahomes, and I think Mahomes should be the favorite. I I truly do. What Mahomes is doing with that offense is just clinical. Week in and week out, he's putting up four touchdowns. That guy, as I mentioned, the 25-to-1 touchdown-to-interception ratio. I'm not sure the Chiefs will lose again this year. Maybe they'll lose one more game. I haven't gone through their schedule in totality, but let's call them 14-2, and 15-1. The Seahawks cannot match that record. And the thing about the NFL MVP, the whole narrative discussion, oh, Russell Wilson has never had an NFL MVP vote, so this is his year. And I don't buy that garbage at all. The NFL MVP should go to the best player in that specific year. I don't care what happened in years previous. Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the NFL this season, and he should be rewarded with yet another another NFL MVP. See, I, I, I disagree with that because it's the MVP, the most valuable player. And a guy like Patrick Mahomes, he's playing on a team filled with superstars, and he's not necessarily, like, that team can win even with kind of replacement-level quarterbacking. Mahomes, no doubt, is the best player, but it's kind of like how Connor McDavid doesn't win each and every single year. Crosby doesn't win each and every year in hockey. It's who's most valuable. So I think Russell Wilson, undoubtedly, is probably the most valuable player to his team, especially for how bad that defense is playing. But at plus 120 odds, I don't see any value there, so I'm probably not going to lay any money on that to basically get even money. But where I do see value here is Aaron Rodgers. You take a look mm-hmm. at who Aaron Rodgers has been playing with all season. I mean, Devontae Adams missed, what, four, maybe even five games, I think. He was definitely injured uh, in a fifth game, and he hasn't missed a beat. Aaron Rodgers has been killing it. The Packers are 6-2. and two. He's tossed for well over 2,000 yards, 24 touchdowns, and just two interceptions, which is only one less than Patrick Mahomes. And you look at the supporting cast he's been having to play with when you compare it to Mahomes I, I, you know you think about valuable players I, I would say that Aaron Rodgers is certainly more valuable to the Packers than Mahomes is valuable to the Chiefs yeah I mean you make a good point both the Packers and the Seahawks have terrible defenses and certainly it's been their quarterback play that has really carried those teams to the records that they've had 
I just I just struggle getting past Mahomes and the, how he's just been so remarkably efficient. And I suppose we'll see what type of stats he finishes with. I mean, if this guy has like two or three picks and 45 touchdowns, I find it hard to believe that he's not the NFL's MVP. But it's no coincidence when we talk about guys like Mahomes and Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers that those three quarterbacks are part of teams that people pick in NFL survivor pools. And we talk a lot about survivor pools on this show, and I, certainly on Overdrive, the guys, Hayes and O'Neill, uh, had New England last night, and I know they were sweating it. And it seems like all the favorites this week, whether it be the Patriots, who almost lost, the Steelers couldn't come any closer to losing to the Dallas Cowboys, who actually played very, very well. The Houston Texans almost lost to Jacksonville. The Chiefs almost lost to Carolina, and yet somehow... All four of those teams were able to sneak by, but it could have very easily been a bloodbath in survivor pools. Yeah, last week was tough. There was a lot of games, and you know, for myself, I would have I I, I got eliminated in one of my pools, but I would have put uh, put some money down on on the Chargers because I thought the Chargers were going to come away with a big victory uh, over the Raiders, and of course, uh, we saw what happened at the end of that game—a a roller coaster finale—and the Chargers, another team who a lot of people I think lost out on. Yeah, the Chargers just that's a good football team. They just can't seem to pick up W's. And and they have a they have a game with the Jets in week eleven. You imagine they'll be able to pick up the W. So let's look ahead to the week ten NFL Survivor Slate. And you look at Green Bay, who's a fourteen point favorite against the Jacksonville Jaguars. That will be the pick of preference for many, including myself. So Green Bay, certainly a really good look. Uh, the Saints, who were just unreal against the Bucks on Sunday night, they're hosting the Niners as nine-point favorites. I don't know exactly what the injury status is of the Niners, but I do know that Jimmy G and George Kittle will not be in the lineup, so that gives me some good feelings with regards to picking the Saints. And then I look at Baltimore, who I know a lot of players have used already in survivor pools, but they're playing the Patriots as seven-point favorites. Let's take Green Bay out of it, Al's brother, because I think it's safe to say that that will be probably the most popular pick on the board, but the Saints, the Patriots, the Steel, or the Ravens, I should say, the Steelers hosting the Bengals. What are you thinking for Survivor this week? Yeah, if you haven't used Baltimore yet, I think Baltimore against New England is a no-brainer. The Patriots could not move the football against the Jets' defense. Imagine how less they're going to be able to move the football against Baltimore. Yeah. I think that would be one. The Steelers also, assuming that Big Ben will be will be okay. He was placed on COVID today. They're taking on the Bengals. Uh, I, I believe that the Steelers, a lot, as, well, as long as Big Ben is going to be out there, they should be a good uh, option as well at minus 7.5 favorites over Cincinnati at home. Yeah, so four Pittsburgh Steelers were placed on the COVID reserve list today, including Ben Roethlisberger, just for exposure. They didn't necessarily contract the virus. They were just in the presence of someone who's at high risk. And Big Ben is a player this week I will be watching closely because not only, of course, is he on this COVID reserve list, but he was banged up at the end of the first half against the Dallas Cowboys. This guy could barely walk. I don't know what they injected into his leg in the second half that allowed him to play that game. But he ultimately helped the Steelers get that W, and uh, it's good for me because I had the Steelers in my survivor pool, and I needed them to come through for that one. Thanks to Jeff Feinberg and to John Daigle from Roto World for joining me tonight. Al's brother, terrific work as always. You've been listening to The Edge here on TSN 1050 in Toronto.